Mm-hmm. Being a black mm-hmm. woman has personally fueled my travel journey. I'm aware that black people couldn't travel like we're able to now. So I like to use my privilege as a platform to inspire someone else to take advantage of the fact that we can do what some of our ancestors wish that they could have done, like what they dreamed they could have done. And I love that shirt that says, I am my ancestors' wildest dreams. From somewhere around the world, welcome to the Black Women Travel Podcast. Hi, my name is Wanda Duncan, and I'm so glad you're joining me as we explore the paths of Black women who've made travel a large part of their lives. Welcome to the show. Hey loves, it's Wanda, the host of the Black Women Travel Podcast. I'd like to invite you to become a patron of the Black Women Travel Podcast. There are a few budget-friendly tiers you can choose from so that as a community, we can continue to heal, ask for what we deserve, get it, and inspire the next generation. Tap the link in the show notes and choose a monthly contribution that suits you. I'm so excited about the episodes you'll hear that will nudge you to love yourself deeper and take more action in your life from that empowered place. Please consider becoming a monthly subscriber through patreon.com slash bwtpod. Get ready to hear another great episode. Thank you so much for joining us today. Can you please tell us your name, where you're from, your current location, and the name of your business? Hey, everybody. My name is Tia Mills, and I am from Gastonia, North Carolina, a small town, 704, but produces people with big personality. It's right outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, My current location is Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates. Sometimes people don't really know where that is offhand. So if you've ever heard of Dubai, I'm about an hour away from it. Um, And the name of my business is Tia Takes the World. Uh, It's an assortment of travel inspiration, travel blogging, travel content creation, and travel planning. So like how in the world does somebody from (laughs) Kakalak end up (laughs) in United Arab Emirates? Tell Tell us about that transition. Well, um, my story is sort of a whirlwind. Um, so I'll start from the beginning. I was in college at the illustrious North Carolina Agriculture and Technical State University, Aggie Pride, <laughs> um, where I got my undergraduate degree. And I actually went back to get my master's in teaching, which is something I never, ever, ever thought I would do. Number one, I'm not a morning person. And number two, I just never envisioned myself teaching anybody anything. So that was just kind of like a shocker for me and my family. Um, But I went back to get my teaching license. And during my master's program, um, there was an opportunity. Well, everyone has to get there. They have to do student teaching where they go inside the classroom and kind of mock 
um, teaching simulations and learn firsthand from a teacher. And one of my professors who I'm super close with, she was just like, look, there's an opportunity for you to go and do your student teaching in Germany if you would like with the Department of Defense. And I was like, um, of course. <laughs> Why wouldn't I want to go to Germany and do my student teaching? You know, the rest of my uh, class was basically going around Greensboro, which were, which is where my college was, and doing their student teaching and just opportunity to get out and kind of go explore something new was really exciting for me. So I applied and another person in my department actually applied too because they got wind of it and was like, well, we want to go too. And I was the one that was selected for it. So I went to Germany for about three months and um, taught American students that were on a military base, but I got a little, um, a little time to kind of get uh, familiarized with local culture and things like that. And I just absolutely loved, you know, being abroad and things. But after that three months spent, I had to come back and of course graduate, finish up my courses and things. And I honestly never thought again about, you know, going abroad or anything. I just knew that I wanted to get into my career, start teaching, you know, get my footing. At the time, I had a very serious boyfriend. So, you know, we were making plans for the future and moving abroad just was not a part of that. But we got to some hiccups in our relationship and it just wasn't going right. So another one of my professors that was at my school, um, because I was still teaching in Greensboro, he kind of, you know, he's one of my mentors and he actually had spoken with my fiance at the time. And told him, you know, there's some opportunities to teach abroad. Let Tia know, you know, tell her to hit me up because he saw him on campus or whatever. So my fiance at the time came and told me and I was like, well, let me go apply. And I applied not thinking anything of it. And lo and behold, a week later, they hit me back and was like, oh, well, let's set up this interview and see what you got. So I literally had to drive to New York from North Carolina, because all of the North Carolina interviews were booked up. There was no way for me to interview anywhere around me because I was so like, literally, I was behind the curve, like for the that academic school year. This is 2015. They had already started hiring people for this. And I just attested to God just being put me in the right place with the right people at the right time. And like I said, I had to drive to New York, interview and everything. And within the span of three weeks, I got my acceptance offer and you know, they told me that they would be sending me my visa at it could be any time within the next three months. So I had to end up packing up my apartment that I stayed in at the time. I had to move back in with my parents and ultimately break off my relationship because he was just not on board with what was going on. Although he was the one that told me about the job. That still blows my mind. But um, it was just a whirlwind. And within three months, they sent me my visa and I was on my way. It was just a whirlwind. That's the only way that I can describe it. Buddy had no idea he was handing you your papers. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and I wonder to today if he was sitting up there like, Dang. damn, why did I open up my mouth? <laughs> <laughs> I should have kept my mouth shut. <laughs> mm-hmm. So but prior to Germany, um, you had just kind of traveled locally like a little bit, maybe some islands yeah. here. Yeah. But yeah. you hadn't like you hadn't real basic travel for basic no, travel. no. Well well when I got to Germany, that was my first time ever going to Europe. Yeah. And things, you know, I was on that side of the world. Ryanair was giving out flights Hello. for fifty dollars to go to Italy and 
you know, all these places. So I got to see it then. But before then, no, I was right. going down to Myrtle Beach every yeah. spring break. You know, I was popping, going to Miami, riding the bus <laughs> with my friends, you know, and it's nothing wrong with that. But just at that right. time, that was the extent of my travels. And I kind of stepped it up a bit. You know, there were some uh, group travel trips that I took with my girls. And it was like we went to the DR one time and another time I went to the Bahamas. And that was the highlight of my travels. I just I was doing it like that. You only are, you know, you only think what you are doing is as great as what you could be doing. You never I mean, unless you're thinking outside the box. But at that time, I just wasn't think my box was the U.S. on the East Coast you know, just traveling up and down. And that was, I was okay with that at the time. And so my eyes got open to something new. And so like, um, did your family encourage that type of travel? Like, um, did you grow up traveling with them as well or not as much? No, <laughs> my mom, she was a single mom. It was me and my sister. And like I said, the extent of our travels was to Myrtle Beach. I think the furthest that I had ever went was to Tennessee which isn't that far. And, you know, <laughs> because, you know, I was with my family at the time and I didn't know a world of travel. Like nobody in my family that I knew of at the time was, you know, going to other countries and things like that. My sister's dad was in the military and she had actually lived in Germany for a little bit, but I was a kid when that happened. So that was kind of the norm because he was in the military. So I just expected people in the middle military to move around, but that wasn't something that I was exposed to. So. Like I said, my little Myrtle Beach trips, my Miami trips, I was good with it. But that was the extent of it. I hadn't been exposed to any type of travel further than the East Coast. And was it something that like you were nervous about? So you did the Germany thing, but I suppose there was a bit mm -hmm. of a safety net because it was a part of a program and it was only for three months. Right. And it was with American students. You know, I was going to be around American teachers as well. So that definitely was a safety net. although. When I first went, you know, that was my first truly internet, like international flight. Yeah. Like I can remember carrying around my bags because I didn't know that there was a trolley that I could put my bags on. Like literally going around with two big suitcases, crying <laughs> in the airport because I'm like, I'm carrying these bags. My arms are going. <laughs> off. I don't know where I'm going. Like I'm thinking, what was? What, what did I sign up for? I didn't have any crash courses on travel internationally or anything like that. But for sure, before I went, you know, the safety net was that it was a program that my school had approved. You know, people had done it before, so I wasn't super nervous about it. And I think my excitement took over any parts that could have made me nervous because I was just like, I'm going to Germany. This is freaking dope. Like, I, I don't <laughs> even remember being nervous. I can't even recall that feeling. I just no remember hesitation. being super excited about yeah. it. No hesitation about it at all, which is why I think that I just am predisposed to travel. Like, my it's, it's in my blood. And was, was Abu Dhabi the same? Like, it... It you was. had to go through a few hoops to get there, you know, having to drive up to New York, which what is that like uh, 10 hours? Seven? Hours? Uh, I, I actually don't even remember, to be I honest. My dad's a truck driver, so he cut whatever time it was supposed to be. I'm sure he cut it down <laughs> by a few hours <laughs> to get that me up there. But yeah, but those obstacles and things, it just kind of made the journey a little bit more sweet for me. And I think I was in the place in my life at the time where 
you know, me and my ex, we were going through some hurdles and I kind of felt liberated by it. I was like, oh, well, you know, things aren't going right with us. You don't want me to go. You don't want to go. Because, you know, I was like, you come too. You're about to, you know, have your master's and you can probably find work over here. Let's go explore the world. And at that time when he was just like kind of reserved about traveling and I was on the, you know, the the high key note of let's go see the world. And he just wasn't, it kind of just fueled me to just go even more. And nervousness just wasn't, it wasn't in my blood. But I think also that with social media now, there are so many resources to help you acclimate before you even get there. So I met so many people that were black, which I was just like, before I went, I was like, oh my gosh, I hope there's people that look like me that are there. Because when I went to Germany, it was maybe me and two families that were black that lived over there in the city that or in the town that I lived in. So, you know, it was kind of different, especially because I went to an HBCU and automatically I'm going into kind of a whitewashed neighborhood. I mean, just, it is what it is. And the people were really nice. It was cool. I did have some hiccups with my roommate and it was honestly because of the cultural differences, but it just taught me, you know, different ways of acclimating, living around different people. But um, yeah, just, it wasn't, I, I wasn't fearful at all. I wasn't fearful, but I think that I was just kind of catapulted into having a fire lit under me because of the circumstances that were going on in my life. But what about your family? So it's like, okay, things aren't going right with the BF. And then all mm-hmm. of a sudden, moving home and everything. And they're like, um, <laughs> like, what are you doing with your life? Like, is, are you going to be okay? Like, my, no, my family honestly was like, that's what's up. Like, I had maybe <laughs> two or three family members that was like, the Middle East, they have war over there. And I'm thinking, we have war on American soil, like against black people. So black and brown people. So what are you talking about? But like my mom and my dad, they were like, okay, so once you get over there, um, how much time is it before we can come and visit? We need to know what kind of <laughs> housing accommodations you're going to have, where are we going to travel to and things like that. So I had a really good support system. Like I said, me and my boyfriend at the time, we were going through a lot of things. So you know, I still had his input from it. So he wasn't on board and his family also wasn't on board. They're just like, it's war over there. You know, the Taliban is there. And I'm thinking, have you ever even looked up Abu Dhabi or Dubai? Like it's the safest country in the world. In 2015, it had just ranked as one of the safest countries in the world. So I'm like, you guys are tripping over something that you saw on reality TV and that you absolutely know nothing about or something that you saw on a tablet that's not true. So uh, y'all are reaching and I just couldn't let <laughs> their fear, you know, spill over onto me. Like y'all gonna have me staying in Gastonia and Greensboro my whole life, which again, that's no problem. But by that time I realized that it wasn't for me. So it's not a problem, but it's not for you. That's a, that's a good distinction to make. Yeah. Yeah. I think some people, you know, they're okay with being where they are. Like my bestest friend in the whole wide world, she loves our hometown. She loves Gastonia. And I don't think that, I'm, I'm not sure if she'll ever move. Um, she is, has a really close connection with her family and all of her family is there. And Gastonia is where she wants to be. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. You know, she don't want to travel as much as I do. You know, that's not her thing. And that's okay. Everybody has their thing. And I don't think that anybody should feel any type of way about it or anything like that, you know? 
So you get to Germany, you come back, you graduate, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you're swept up in this job in the UAE. Mm -hmm. Things are lovely. You're chilling. Yeah. Tia's taking yeah. pictures. <laughs> She's getting these flights. Um, All of it. You drinking your drinks. So I scroll back <laughs> on your Instagram and one of the first pictures, okay. I don't know if you remember, do you remember your first picture? I don't. I don't. You have to refresh my memory. What I sure will. On my Instagram? <laughs> <laughs> your very first picture is of you and two other ladies throwing up the black power fist in Zambia. I just got chills. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Yeah. What a time to be alive and to be black. So uh, that that yes. was posted. I don't know when the picture was taken, but it was posted in twenty of seventeen. So that was about two years ago. Three years ago. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> 2017 that's crazy because at, at first i didn't even uh think to like instagram wasn't social media wasn't my thing when i first moved over here i just posted stuff on my private account but that was my first spring break i believe or second spring break uh living over there and we just went to africa and had ourselves a time like it was so much blackness and so much just love coming from everywhere from the guy that was our driver to the people that hosted us at our airbnb like being on the beach and being just in the thick of it like we did a full moon party when we were there and it was just all people that looked like me and just listening to their accents and seeing the way that they moved and the music that they were listening to oh it just it it made me feel alive and it kind of reinvigorated why i wanted to continue to travel and continue to learn different things about different people and different cultures. Like that was such a good time in my life. Like, oh, being over here has just made travel even more accessible and possible for me. So that, yeah, uh, that was a good time. <laughs> You're giving me chills now. <laughs> because I haven't been yet. Don't tell nobody. Oh, go, please. Well, go. and anybody else that's listening that hasn't been go like, I would definitely say, you know, we did the um, slave trade uh, tour, just going through where they used to transport us and just seeing like they have different statues where they have the chains around their necks and they show you different slave quarters and where they used to hold us. And that thing, oh, it, it's emotional, like being there and seeing that. That was my first time seeing a slave quarter. That was my first time being in it, like standing in the middle of it. When I was in but Germany, that's crazy I being from North tours. Carolina. Well, you know, plantations and things like that, but seeing where we came from before we got here. Okay. I think sometimes the plantations and things like that in the States can be watered down because I feel as though people try to erase our history and what happened. You know, they're slowly but surely taking slavery out of the textbooks and things you know my nephews i talk to them because i'm i'm that black power auntie that's telling them what they need to learn you know we celebrate juneteenth all of this everything that that's me and you know i'm asking them all the time about what they're learning about black history and things like that and more and more i feel like as they're growing up that slavery is being taken out of it so for me just going there and seeing where it started was the emotional part for me 
you know, when you go to these plantations, especially in North Carolina or in the South, you're taken on these tours by these white people that are reenacting what's happening. And as they're retelling the story, it's not all factual, in my opinion, from what I've been told and the stories that I believe to be true by some of the older Black people that are in my life. And I just can't get with that. So going back and seeing it for myself and hearing it from people who have lived in these towns and whose parents and parents' parents have seen what happened, like that's the part that just woke me up. And, you know, I think that in itself is something that just really sparks the fuel in me to be able to travel because coming from that, even going to North Carolina or wherever we were brought to that was in the States, we didn't have this privilege to be able to travel. Just like you look back two, 300 years ago, this travel really just started being available for a lot of us. You know, people are still I mean, discriminated against. You don't even have to go that far back though. Like the fifties was. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was recent. That's very yeah. recent. Yes. You don't have to go back that far. And this, that's very sad to me, but at the same time, it shows me how much privilege that I have. And I want to, hone in and just use that privilege to the best of my abilities because I just think about it like my grandma she wouldn't have been able she couldn't have traveled she she couldn't travel because of the situation that she was in you know back then it was a not necessarily acceptable but what it was was that she took care of her husband and the kids my grandma had six kids and my granddaddy you know he worked and stuff he also did what he wanted to do so my grandma didn't have the opportunity because she was taking care of kids and stuff and even that passed down to my mom and her brothers and sisters. And they didn't have that opportunity to because it was kind of a cycle of working to raise your kids. And that's it. Travel, traveling big wasn't something that was instilled in my family. But, oh, you better believe I'm going to change that narrative. That's done. I wonder how that came to you, though. Because what is that? That is, that is a lot of, well, not a lot, but some people's story is that travel wasn't normalized in their family. Mm -hmm. So here you go. <laughs> Trapes. Here you go. Right. Taking the world. Taking the world, <laughs> Tia. So like, I, I wonder, I wonder where it this... wasn't super accessible for me. I think that it was, like I said, I, I really feel like it's in my blood. And as I'm t making a journey to learn about my lineage and things, I'm just waiting on a day that I, it pops up that a world traveler is in my family or something or you know someone who escaped in the underground railroad or something crazy i'm just waiting on that story to come out in my lineage but i really feel like it's just something that's innate in me like i the need to travel and want to i can't believe that i went so long without doing it but i feel like my steps were ordered and you know some people don't believe in it but i feel like the universe aligns you where you need to be and who you need to be with and things like that. And I think that it, that's why it came to me when it did and the time of my life when it did, because otherwise I'm not going to say that I wouldn't have been as afraid or that I wouldn't have taken the leap, but definitely because of where I was in my life, it catapulted me to do it the way that I did. So um, I think I might have always searched for some type of travel on down the line. Um, I'm not sure how it would have came to me then, but definitely the circumstances set me up to um, travel the way that I have and to move abroad and things like that. So, like, did you see yourself being a teacher from a young age? Like, how did that come to you? Uh, 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 no, 
That's I always thought that I was going to be a lawyer. Like you, oh. if we called my mom on three way right now, like it would be. <laughs> Can we um, call your mom on three way? Oh, sorry. Look what time it is. Three thirty seven. I'll text her. I'll see if she gets on the phone now. You, I'm chatty Kathy, but <laughs> that, <laughs> that's the one. You'll probably have to say, Tia, we'll call you back later. And my mom uh-uh. can tell the whole story about everything. But <laughs> um, She would tell you that if anybody ever asked me, I was going to go to NYU and I was going to be a lawyer and I was going to be fighting cases. I was going to be a prosecutor. And that was that. Like, I was just going to nominate out here you know what i'm saying okay except for the murders and oh. the corruption well, she never actually <laughs> murdered anybody so there's that well she had a lot of cover-ups so you know i mean maybe you know she was down for her team she was loyal so <laughs> i am loyal as well maybe i gotta analyze that all right all right but i definitely was gonna be out here you know killing the game no pun intended but <laughs> that's what i had said that i was gonna do my whole life teaching was never a thought for me like I don't like waking up and now nah, I like waking up. I just, I'm not a morning person. I always thought that I would be working late. My mom will tell you that she always thought I'd be working the third shift job. Like, no, teaching was not something that was in the cards. Honestly, I decided to do it after I graduated. When I was in undergrad, I just thought that um, I didn't know what I was going to do. I honestly went into college. I didn't have um, my major declared until after the first semester. Then I decided to do sports science and I knew I wanted to do something in sports because I love sports. And once graduation started creeping up on me, everybody was like, what are you going to do? And I was just kind of like, I don't know. (laughs) So some of the people that were in the class above me, they were like, you know, going into teaching. It was a new program at our school for uh, teaching physical education. And some of my professors was like, you know, you would be great at teaching on the university level, you know, start off on this pathway and then you can get your doctorate and maybe move into this lane. And I was like, you know what? I could teach these classes. I love, you know, physiology and the history of sports and things like that. And my teacher just really had a big impact on me. So I was like, I definitely could be a teacher. Teaching is a is very stable. They're always going to need teachers. And who wouldn't want to be a PE teacher? That's freaking cool. So I said, well, that's what I'm going to go and do. And honestly, just like that, I applied to go into my master's program to get my teaching certificate. And that's what I did. But you never I am teaching PE. (laughs) But you never saw teaching taking you abroad. You never saw it helping you to travel. Oh, no, no. And then when my, you know, mentor, you know, told my ex at the time, well, my boyfriend at the time that there was a job teaching PE abroad everybody was blown away. You know, I had seen a lot of things where people were getting uh, called to move abroad to teach English. And, you know, China was a big move for people at the time and even still now, but it was always about teaching English. And it was never about go abroad and teach PE in English. So when it came up, I was just kind of like, oh, this is lit. This is amazing. So, you know, even the Germany experience, being able to go and do my student teaching there as a PE teacher just was kind of like unheard of. Like nobody in our department, had, I was the first one in my department to have done this. Like it, God just, like I said, I really believe everything has been just ordered for me. Something great is on the horizon besides me traveling and hopefully inspiring other people to do so. I just, I really feel that I'm going to make a dent on the world in traveling and maybe even education and things like that. Like God is just, seriously ordered my steps in such a way that 
I'm just flabbergasted all the time that he picked me to be able to do this. So you just, you know what I'm saying? You feel like divinely supported. I do. You feel mm-hmm. like the universe is really like conspiring in your favor. Definitely. You know, even like I said before, there's a big community of people who help prepare you to come abroad. Like you have Facebook groups and different WhatsApp groups that you can connect with people before you come. You know, people tell you how the move is going to be and things and what you need to bring, how you should dress, like the essentials of moving abroad, specifically for the UAE. They have some groups for China, you know, Bali, everywhere around the world. But, you know, there were so many groups that helped me to prepare to come here. And being in those groups, I saw how so many people didn't get the opportunity to come here. So like when I said I moved back home with my parents and things, that was after I got my contract. So I got, I applied in April and I got my contract in the beginning of May. And once I did, I, you know, prayed on it and decided that this was something that I wanted to do. And I turned in my resignation at my job, which I had only been at for a year and a half teaching PE. And I told my parents I was going to move back in with them. I broke my contract for my apartment, paid those fines, moved back with my parents, you know, made plans to go. And I'm just steadily waiting for a visa to come. Now, they tell you that it's going to come, but there are a lot of factors that are in between that. So if anybody that's listening is thinking about moving abroad, please be aware of that. I don't know how it works for different countries because I've only been in the UAE um, teaching as in my professional career. But I know for sure with the company that I went through, you know, you had to kind of wait and see whenever your visa was going to come in. You had to get your documents authenticated so that you could get your visa. And if there was a hiccup in that process, then maybe that would slow it down or maybe you wouldn't get it. And I saw in some of these groups that there were people that sold their houses or took their kids out of school, quit their jobs and found out that they weren't going or never got a visa. Or the people would say, oh, you were supposed to be coming in August. Now you'll come in December. Oh, you were supposed to come in December. Now we can't hire you anymore. And I thank God that that wasn't me because it easily could have been, you know, it, <laughs> these people are, were seriously like left with their hands in the air. Like, what do we do? Because at that point there was nothing that they could do. So I definitely feel divinely favored and like my steps have been ordered for me. What has helped you to cultivate a relationship with God? Like, have you always, oh, my mom, Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. she's always had me in the church <laughs> ever since I can remember. Like I've always been um, religious, I'll say first. And just with growing up, I've become more spiritual. I don't necessarily um, equate my relationship with my higher being to a building. Um, I just know what I've been taught and I take the teachings that my mom instilled in me And I apply them in my life, how they work for me. You know, there are a lot of things that even growing up in the church that my mom, we don't agree on the same things with as far as it comes with religion. But spiritually, you know, I believe in basic principles about treating people right and about, you know, doing good for others and helping others out and, you know, serving people and things like that. And it it just has been in me since a, a young child. And I've always felt that spiritual connection to a higher being like some people um talk about not feeling that and i can't imagine not having that feeling but i've always felt something 
something is greater than me and something is moving me and guiding me. You talk about that a little bit. So I read about your, I believe your current relationship. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you talk about being mentally, spiritually, and emotionally on the same wavelength as this person that you met. So you met them while mm-hmm. you were in Abu Dhabi. Um, yes. <laughs> and you've been deported twice with this person. So how did that happen? Like, talk to me <laughs> Woo, talk about building up a relationship, a couple that gets deported together will stay together forever. <laughs> um, so yeah, we met in Abu Dhabi. He's a math teacher here. Um, and as crazy as it is, we kind of went around each other's circles. We knew the same people, but never met each other. And, um, when we finally did, we just kind of, not even kind of, we had a very strong connection together. Um, but yeah, we started dating and everything was great. And we decided that we wanted to travel together, which is something that I think will strengthen or break any relationship. Traveling together will show you somebody's true colors because traveling will put you in some situations where you have to make decisions and you can see how people react. Like people can be whoever they want to be at the crib, but when you don't have the resources around you that you're, you know, familiar with and things, that'll show you who somebody is. So just traveling in the beginning was something that showed me that we could definitely be in this thing called life together and that he could be my partner and that we worked well together. Um, but the deportation. So the first one, we were planning to go to India for one of my friends, um, 30th birthdays and everybody was getting their things together. You know, we had a WhatsApp group and apparently we were supposed to be getting visas, which is fine. Uh, me and him both overlooked that <laughs> before the trip, but about a week before we applied for our visas and it was just, when we tried to apply the first time, there was something with the site. It wouldn't take our cards or something like that. So then we tried the next day and it said that it went through, but we never got a visa. So it gets to about three days before we're supposed to leave and we're kind of panicking at this point because by this time we've heard stories about how people have been turned away at the airport before they even left Abu Dhabi or, you know, people weren't allowed entry into um, into India or whatever. So we were really nervous about it. But one of our friends that was going on the trip had told us that they had applied for an emergency visa before. So we were like, okay, now it's going to cost us a little extra money, but these are lessons that you learn as you become an expert traveler. You learn check your documents before you travel so you don't have to cough up that cash, but it would have been more for us to lose the money that we paid to expedite it than to lose all the money that we have put into the trip. So we paid it and, you know, the company that we were working with, they were communicating with us a lot and sent us temporary visas and told us that this would work for us or whatever to get us to the airport. Now, like I said, we heard stories about people going to the airport and being turned away because they didn't have visas. So when we get to the airport, we show them these temporary visas and they're like, cool, stamp our stuff, get our bags on. And we're like, yes, we made it. So I call the company before we even get on the flight to go to India. And I'm like, so when are our real visas going to be here? We need them. We're going to land at such and such time. They're like, it'll be there whenever you land. So we get on the flight, chilling, everything get to India and no email. So I called them again and they're like, Oh, we're waiting on, it's their system. We're waiting on it to come through. And I'm like, well, I've been in line for 
you know, my documentation right now. How much longer do I have to wait? They're like, show them the temporary visa and you should be fine. You know, explain that what's going on. So we get up to the desk and we show them the temporary visa and automatically the noises start going off in the system and the police come and they take us back to the holding room. And they're basically telling us that these visas were stolen and we stole someone's identity and that we're trying to sneak into India. And, you know, my passport privilege came into play just a little bit here because I'm like, do you see where I'm from? I'm not trying to sneak in here. <laughs> like, why would I? No, you got it messed up. So, you know, they held us and they're like, no, you can't get in. So we explained to them what happened and that our visa should be coming, that we spoke with the company. And they're like, this company is a scam. They took your money. Why wouldn't you go on the government site? And so I had the government site screenshot where they didn't take our card, where we tried to apply before. They're just like, you're trying to sneak in. They were just hella rude to us. It was it was bad. So our friends had to keep going because it was a layover where we were at, and they had to go to Goa. So I was like, you know, hopefully we'll catch up with you guys later. We're just waiting on these people to send it. So I'm calling the people, sending them emails, and I'm like, you guys scammed us. And they're like, no, we issue visas all the time. We're a verified company, which it says this on their website. And our friend that was traveling with us had also used them before. So I was just so confused. We ended up staying in this holding room for like three hours. And the whole time I'm crying. My boyfriend, he's rubbing my back, telling me to calm down. Like, I will say this. In our relationship, we are yin and yang when it comes to how we react to situations like this. He is super calm, cool, and collected all of the time. I, the way you hear me now, like I'm excited, I'm up and like, yeah, I get that way even when I'm emotional, sad, down, whatever. And I'm just like furious, I'm mad, I'm hurt, I'm sad, it's just all these emotions and he's holding me down, like holding me down. Uh, the deportation officers just basically, they take us to this, to a flight gate and they're like, you have to go back to Dubai or Abu Dhabi. I don't remember where we flew out of. And I'm just kind of like, well, this company is saying that it's an issue with your system. It's you. Like if you're the immigration people, then you could tell me if it's an issue with your system. They don't want to hear it. They take us to the gate and tell us that the next flight out, we have to go. So this lady that's with the um, airport, she basically comes up to us and asks us, you know, cause we're sitting there for two more hours. She's asking us why we're sitting there. And I basically tell her the story. And she's like, well, yeah, the immigration side is down a lot. It's always under maintenance. And I'm like, so if that's the case, why are they tripping? So super long story short, we end up having to get back on the plane. They hold our passports, all of our documentations. Like they escort us on the plane, make us sit at the front of the, not like in first class, but make us sit at the front of the plane. They lock our passports up all the way until we get back to Dubai. They take our passports out all the way until we walk off of the, the what is the gate that connects you to the airport? We walk out of the gate and then as soon as we touch foot on Dubai soil, then they give us our stuff back and told us not to come back to India <laughs> for like 30 days or something like that and that we need to have proper documentation. Yeah, I promise you, we left at four o'clock on the flight, maybe. At 4.15, my email pops up with my actual visa. I like, I can't make this stuff up. I was tripping so bad. Like I just started crying when we got back to Dubai. Like what the heck? And my boyfriend is like, I'm just, I'm never going back to India. There's nothing you can say to me. I will never step foot back there again. So that was our first deportation <laughs> story.
Girl. Oh Girl. <laughs> what a, uh, oh my gosh, what a story. <laughs> that thing got me sweating bullets over here like I'm sitting back <laughs> at the airport again. Yeah, they, uh, immigration like in a lot of places are notorious for that. They will treat you like an absolute criminal. I'm just like, I'm not trying to steal anything. I'm just trying to give, I'm trying to go back into your tourism. Like, what are you, sneak into India? What are you talking about? No, I'm not actually. So that that one hurt my feelings. But I actually ended up going back um, three, not even three months later because my visa was valid for 90 days. I went back on a flight deal that I saw for like $80. And I was like, let me try this again. Because really? the company that they, yeah, the company that they said scammed us, they felt so bad because of the issue. They ended up refunding us our money, all the money that we paid extra for those expedited visas. And I was like, well, this visa is paid for. I'm not about to waste <laughs> this documentation. <laughs> Let me go back, girl. And I went back and I had me a good old time. I tried to get my boyfriend to go with me, but he is stuck to that vow that he will never, ever go back. <laughs> he said, you can go. I'm not going. So he has his Indian visa as his souvenir, and that's all that he said he needs. That's hilarious. Have you faced any challenges, like as an educator, and like a fairly new educator at that, um, working abroad, or just you have a podcast, a takeoff podcast that you started last year? Takeoff. Yeah. Franlin. Uh, so, you know, and your blog, like, have you, or just in being yourself and trying to honor your desires in the world, have you faced any challenges in those areas? Um, For me, the only challenge that I have sometimes is being able to be 100% transparent about my experiences being in the UAE specifically. Um, I'm not saying that I withhold information, but I mean, let's be honest, I work here, so I'm not about to trash the people that's paying my bills. <laughs> you know, yeah, no matter, I, I do tell the good, bad, and the kind of ugly, um, but I don't divulge everything that's happening here because this is my livelihood. I'll be honest about that, you know, and that's the only challenge that I face, but I think I do a really good job of being able to give a transparent point of view without getting myself into trouble. That that's what I would say that I can do. And, you know, after I move on from here, whether that be in the next few years or twenty years from now, you know, I have hella content to be able to tell the other part of the story that I can't while I'm here. You know, it's just like working at any job. You not about to well, unless you just don't care. You're not just about to blast your job out while they're still paying you. So um like I said, that's the only major challenge that I find that um, there are things that I wish that I could talk more about that I prefer not to just for the sake of me living here. Okay. I mean, that's fair. Some people like create, you know, little fake accounts or whatever to get off their tweets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh I just, I'd probably end up giving myself away, honestly. <laughs> Why are you, girl, uh, we know this is you. So, you know, like I said, for the most part, I can tell my story and how it is. There are just some things that I wish that I could say, like, y'all know what be happening. <laughs> but I just, I, it's, 
uh-uh, they're they not coming to look for me. They're not deporting me up out of here. <laughs> I had it happen twice. Y'all not kicking me up out the UAE. So, and like I said, it's nothing that's super extreme. It's not like, you know, people reading the news about somebody being beheaded or something. It's none of that is happening over here. Or I've heard stories of people saying that girls come over here and let men poop on them or something like that. And I'm just like, what? I I know nothing about that. Those it's nothing like that. It's just, you know, I wish that I could, there are stories that I have to tell that will be told when I move on past here. But besides right. that, uh, yeah, no, no super challenges. You know, the education system here is definitely different than back home, which um, is not necessarily a challenge for me. It's just different for me. I've, I've been teaching in the UAE longer than I taught back home. So I've kind of gotten used to it. You know, back home, I used to have to worry about kids talking back or bucking up at me. You know, I had a boy that tried to fight me one time. But he was in middle school, so I kind of got him together real quick, you know, so I don't have to worry about that here as much as like other challenges, which might be, you know, my girls, because some of them wear their Shayla's or their Abaya's during PE class, having to get them to want to participate or either, you know, a lot of my students, they follow me on social media. Sometimes I have to censor what I put out there because I do have a very... Uh, I have a wide variety of people of people who follow me, so I have to kind of be cognizant of it because I do still teach. You know, I have a lot of my students. I come to school and they're like, "Miss, your page is lit," or "We watched this or we saw that," and you know, sometimes I just have to hone it in a little bit. But that's why I still have my private Instagram page, so I can let off the ratchetness whenever I want to. Do you think that being a black woman has personally impacted how you work and travel? Yes, yes, most definitely. Um, being a black woman has personally fueled my travel journey, um, for sure. I'm aware that, like I said before, black people couldn't travel like we're able to now. Um, I know that we as a whole weren't afforded the opportunities. So I like to use my privilege as a platform to inspire someone else to take advantage of the fact that we can do what some of our ancestors wish that they could have done, like what they dreamed they could have done. And I love that shirt that says, I am my ancestors' wildest dreams, because I can only imagine, you know, if my ancestors were here to see me, how proud they would be. And, you know, I just started um, researching about the Negro Motorist Green Book. And that just kind of makes me realize how much travel means to our community. And I'm not sure if you know or if the listeners know about this book, but it was basically a book that was originated and it was published by Victor Hugo, Victor Hugo Green. And it was during the Jim Crow era. So it's when the mistreatment and the discrimination of black people was widespread and it was legal. And during this time, it was really difficult and not uncommon for African-Americans to own cars. But when we did, we had a lot of problems, you know, just driving or going somewhere and people refused us food, lodging, and we got arrested a lot of the times for going places. So the response to that was that Victor Green wrote this book and his guide to serve without having to worry about precautions that it would be for us traveling to these places. And I think that that's powerful in itself that we had to go as far as creating a secret book to like tell other people, yeah, you can go here. Yeah, you can do this in secret. Like that, that's wild to me. That's freaking crazy. And I, 
I think the book was published in like the 1930s. Like you said, it's not that far removed that this happened. So, you know, now that we're in 2020 and I'm able to freely move around, I'm going to, and I'm going to share every experience that I can. You know, I feel like I'm a, an offspring of Victor Green. Like I'm sharing my own personal green book. That's what Tia takes to the world is. It's my own personal green book of, hey, you can go here and this is how they treat black people or this is what there is to do for black people or this is how black people are thriving. And I feel like I'm kind of creating my own um, book of knowledge for my people. And that's, you know, being a black woman out here, I'm super inspired by that. Like that's what it really fuels me. It really like pumps me up. Like thinking about it gets my adrenaline pumping just talking about it because that's what I want to be for somebody else. What Victor Green was to the community, I would hope to have that same impact on another black woman or another black little boy or anyone that's in our community that's looking to travel or that may not even be looking to travel that may see my page and say, Hey, I didn't want to travel before, but this is a good story. This is a good place to go. And now I want to do it. And when you do travel, is there a certain way you like to explore a new place? Well, I do have the acronym that I like to travel with and it's basically called ACT. And that's Adventure, Culture, and Turn Up. I love doing adventure. So usually I'm trying to find zip lines that I can do or um I want I really want to do skydiving or hiking or just doing anything that kind of like gets your blood pumping. I love adventure and if I can do it on every trip that I go on, I'm satisfied. And I love like checking out culture. Like I feel like who am I to go to someone else's country and not learn about their history? Like how dare I do that? So really learning about people's cultures. I get that honest from my dad. He loves history and he kind of passed that on to me. Um I just love hearing about the history and especially hearing how black culture is either in intertwined in their culture or how black people were affected by their culture or interact with their culture or if there weren't any black people to me, um, really from people like or in the black movement and black empowerment. So I always want to learn more about us and just checking out other people's cultures. I like to kind of compare and see, you know, the differences and maybe how I can take something from this culture to help me lift myself up, lift someone else up or something like that. So that was the adventure culture. And then the turn up, like I love a good turn up and that doesn't necessarily even mean like drinking or something like that. I just like being around fun and I like to have a good time. So when I travel, I usually always try to go somewhere where the locals like to turn up, whether it's in a club, a bar, a lounge or somewhere that I found that they have the most fun. Like um, I went to a wedding one time when I was in Egypt and that was their turn up and it was crazy. Like it, the wedding didn't start. I didn't get to my hotel until 12. We were coming back from a tour and I just happened to see this, these people that were like dressed up and I'm like, Oh, sorry, do you want to come? And I'm like, yeah, I want to come. And I went and it was like one o'clock before the party really even started. And I couldn't hang with them because they were turned. Like it was a good time. Like, so I like to do those three, three things, adventure, culture, and turn up. What are your self-care practices? Um, for me, self-care is basically about just de-stressing. So Oftentimes, especially when I'm here, I like to go and explore on my own. Um, it's 
a release for me whenever I can go and capture something and create. So some people like to kind of, especially either when they're traveling or other anytime anyways, their thing of being present and in the moment is like looking around, seeing how the clouds line up with the mountains and the horizon. I think that's cool and all, but for me, it's capturing it, putting it on film, putting it into words. Like, I guess I could call myself an artist and my artist is creating that content, whether I put it out for people or not. I get such relief when I can put something together and see the end product of it. And that honestly, I know that's different from a lot of people. Some people go to a spa, some people, you know, meditate and things like that. But that is my meditation, like finding something that's beautiful and creating something out of it. Um, but I have also found out that being here, it's a lot easier and more affordable to um, have self-care that is in the physical form. So getting massages or getting skincare treatments and things like that, um, because we have so many discounted offers and everything is just so cheap here because they do have expats coming from all different countries that are, for whatever reason, they're able to charge them less for their services than what they would charge back in the States. And that means that I get my services for less. So um, sometimes I go to the spa and I can get five treatments for $25, you know, get my eyebrows waxed and my nails, my manicure, my pedicure, get a massage and a rocking bath. And that also relaxes me. But um, I think my mind is always on the go. So I, I, the content creation part is what just slows me down. And that's what gives me myself self-care. And here lately, I've been journaling a lot. Um, one of my mentors, Glow Graphics, she, uh, well, Gloria, her name is Glow Gra Graphics on Instagram. She's been doing a lot this year with talking about journaling and, you know, waking up in the morning and reflecting. So for me, I've been taking that into account a lot. I start with mantras in the morning, you know, for the month of March, I'm basically giving myself the mantra that I'm positive. I create quality content, whether it's for me or for someone that I'm trying to get to pay for my content or whatever, whatever my goals are, I'll wake up in the morning and repeat those mantras to myself. I'll look in the mirror, I make sure that I'm pumping myself up. And it really has been helping. I know we're only in the third day of March, but it really does help me to focus myself because I can hear myself throughout the day saying it from the morning and it, it pumps me up and it, it gives me that motivation. So yeah, those are my self-care practices. <laughs> so would you say that your content creation is also grounding for you? Or is there... Very much so. Okay. Very much so. I, um, because it gives me a different outlook. Like I said, I know for some people that may be like, huh? But for me, it gives me perspective just to look at things. It really makes me super grateful because when I am creating that content... Um, and I, I hate to say creating content because it sounds like I'm putting something out there that somebody's like that I put on Instagram or social media or that I want somebody to pay for. But I have so much stuff that I just do for myself. Like I've done a time lapse before just of the sky and I've sat out and just watched it and look around and I'm just like, God is good. Like, this is amazing. Who am I to be in this moment, to be in this point? Like, why me? And, you know, I reflect and then that takes my mind to the point of gratitude. It takes my mind to the point of reflecting on where I've been and where I want to go. And I look towards the future. So that definitely grounds me and then brings me to the point of um, forward movement. So investing in yourself, 
uh, you're talking about Gloria Tanmo, investing in yourself mm -hmm. has been important to you. So you're a content creator, but you also want to be a good one. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So that's why you, you, was it the blog like a boss course that she has? Yeah, it was blog like a boss um, that I decided to do. And that was a big step for me because even the, like I've always created stuff. Um, my friends will tell you like for their birth, like I used to always have a camera all the time. Like in college, you could not catch me without this before camera phones was out like my digital camera i would have my little micro sd card inside i'd be recording taking pictures like i have so much i say content but back then it's just videos and pictures of everything that we used to do and i put them together in little videos like you think i was a little steven spielberg just i went in or i was the original reality tv honestly the original mona <laughs> just recording our reality and things like that and then i put them on to like little dvds for their birthdays and things and make them real nice and stuff. So I always created, but once I moved here and like I said, I started getting in touch with the fact that travel was something that I really wanted to promote to other people and inspire other people to do. I wanted to figure out the best way to do it. So that it wasn't trashy. Like it's one thing to just, you know, repost some things and share certain things with people. And that works for some people and that does inspire certain people. But, um, for me, I wanted to have some purpose behind it and I wanted to be able to back it up with insightful type type things. So I really wanted to give people something that was quality and something that would help them. And I couldn't come up with the way to do it on my own because a lot of my friends and family didn't really understand, you know, the, whether it be the world of blogging or creating content for people to um to be able to uh, help them informative type things. So I didn't have anybody to lean on. So that when I saw Glow that she was offering this class, I was just like, it's either now or never. And one of my sorors, which is a friend who actually used to live here, Gina, I asked her about it. She's like one of my muses. Like, oh, I love her so much. I'm so sad that she doesn't live here anymore. But I talked to her about it. And, you know, I said, look, this is how much the class costs. It's a pretty penny. I just, I don't really know what I should do, if I should do this, or if I should keep on self-promoting and, you know, figuring it out along the way. But she was like, do you believe in you? I'm like, of course. She's like, do you believe that you have something to tell people? I'm like, yeah. And she's like, are you getting it done now on your own? I'm like, well, I mean, kind of. She's like, no, you're not. She's like, this girl has the guidebook. She has all of the information that you need. You have to invest in yourself so that you can start feeding other people, helping other people. And if this is what you feel like you need to do, the fact that you're even asking me, I think that you need to invest in yourself. You have to start somewhere. And I did it. And I, the experience was amazing. Like Glow, if any of you are looking to do her class or anything like that, or looking to invest in yourself at all, whether it be with anybody, you know, check the optics for it first. See what you're trying to get out of it. And I can personally speak from her class. It was so insightful. Like I couldn't in a million years, like what I paid for it and got out of it, uh, they don't even compare. It's not comparable at all. So it was, it was definitely the right decision to do. I also wanted to ask you about your dating life. So a lot sure. of women are concerned about that. About, oh, you know, if I travel, will I be able to meet someone? And, like, how does that work? Um, was that one of your concerns? 
Well, you know, I was getting out of a <laughs> out of something that I shouldn't have been in when I left. So I honestly had no thought of, oh, am I going to meet a man while I'm traveling? That was the furthest thing from my mind. I had actually sworn off of men when I moved over here, which is why I think it's funny the way that I met my boyfriend. Um, it, it just happened. We just fell into each other. But um, I can say definitely from the people that I have seen that date while they travel or moving abroad and things like that. I think it's what you put into it. Um, one of the sayings that me and my friends, when we first moved over here, we used to say it all the time. If you move abroad, be careful with people because they can be whoever they want to be. Like it's people that have been here for years and I'm just finding out that they got wives back home or kids. Like some of my friends <laughs> or who I thought were my friends. I'm like, you got a baby at the crib. How did I not? know that that's crazy so people literally can be who they want to be um when they move here so i would definitely say keep your eyes open but also it's what you put into it i think that some people have found success in dating while they're living abroad by opening up their options you know people who used to be like i'm not going to date outside my race or i'm not going to date outside of my nationality have found love in the exact opposite of what they said they were going to do. You know, I have a friend who found someone, a guy, he's from Sri Lanka and she is super pro black, super, I'm going to date a black American man, blah, blah, blah. And she found this man. I was from Sri Lanka and fell in love. And we all were shocked about it, but she loves him and he loves her. And it's been an amazing love story to watch. So I think that opening up yourself for something new, not saying that that's what you, that you have to choose somebody that's from somewhere else, but I think being able to see different options gives you the opportunity to see what you really want and see different perspectives, different options, different lifestyles and things. Do you have any hobbies or interests that aren't about making money or your passion? Well, to be honest, <laughs> I'm not making <laughs> a whole bunch of money now or any at all i honestly do my content creation and everything that i do my blogging like i don't make any money off of my blog i just do it to get the information out there for anybody that wants to travel my content creation i do it because that's what i like to do and it just happens to be kind of good so um i mean hopefully one day that's uh it turns into something else but i don't make money off of my stuff i call it my business because i mean it is that is it is my brand. If I go somewhere and speak, then it is my business. But I don't, you know, uh, make money off of it like that. But outside of it, um, which is mostly what I do all of the time. Anyways, I'm always trying to go and see new places around the UAE and, you know, create something from it. But outside of that and traveling, um, I really love sports, like hence being a PE teacher. <laughs> but I coach here. Um, uh, at my school. So I do a lot of things with my students um, on the side. Just like working with them is something that makes me happy. I love being able to connect with these kids that are from all over the place, like just sitting down with them, getting to know about their life outside of here. Um, I'm not sure if you heard before, like uh, last year, um, maybe it was like early August or something like that, or September when the um, Sudan riots were going on. I have a lot of students that are from Sudan and their families are from there. And I just learned so much that I never would have known, like being in the States and things like that. Um, 
So just like cultural immersion is something I'm really into. Um, learning more about where I live, I think that it would be a disservice to myself to go back home and not know anything. Now, don't ask me if I speak Arabic. I don't know if that question was coming, but I'm not culturally immersed that much. But just like learning like different traditions and things like that is something that interests me. But at the top of that list is definitely travel, whether it be inside of this country or other places like that's at the top of my hobbies list. I love researching about travel, um, learning new things about new places. I'm, I'm such a nerd when it comes to travel, like all things travel, whether it be food and things. Um, I found myself here lately looking up recipes for places that I've been. Um, when I went to Thailand, I took a cooking class and it was really dope, like where I actually made like Thai noodles and things. So like researching how to make that and things. Mostly all things that have to do with travel or sports, which is why I'm here, is what I love to do in my free time. And do you have any song lyrics or poems that speak to you these days? <laughs> I do. One of my, and it's not even these days, this is like my anthem, and it's like what pumps me up, what gets me going. It's one of the songs I listen to almost every morning when I get up or if it's the weekend and the afternoons when I get up out of the bed. And uh, it, it might be corny, but it's, it's my song. It's my song. It's She's Bad Mama Gemma. Yeah, you know it. <laughs> 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 uh, my favorite, like, a part of the song, like, the lyrics wow. that really speak to me is She's Poetry in Motion, <laughs> a beautiful sight to see. I get so excited viewing her anatomy. And I know it, it seems kind of surface, but that that one, the, especially that she's poetry in motion. Like, I just kind of, <laughs> I want to embody that. Not necessarily even my just my body, but like in everything that I do. Like, I want my story to be something that, like, when people see me moving, and not necessarily with my body, but the moves that I make, I wanted to embody that. She's poetry in motion. Like, see, yeah, she she is lyrics. Like, if some, if you ask somebody else, What's your favorite lyrics? Tia. Tia is a lyric. <laughs> okay. Like that song, it pumps me up. Like that's my go-to like inspiring song. Like I love it so much. And it, it, all of the lines in it, I, I feel like the song on the surface talks about a woman's curves and her bodies and it's a man admiring her. But I just look into it a lot more deeply. Just talking to She's foxy. She's classy. She's heavenly. Like, it just talks about all of the things that I really want to embody as a woman. Definitely, I want to look good, but just the things I feel like he kind of looked into her mind a little bit too. You know, an, an essence of beauty, he said in the song. Like, I, it just, that, it pumps me up. <laughs> and it's probably um, my mama's fault because she used to play that yes, song all the time. I, it didn't sound like that came from you. <laughs> <laughs> Something you grew up with. Something I grew up, but hey, yeah. it stuck with me. Isn't it something Clearly. that stuck with me? Like, honestly, I, thank you, Shiva. <laughs> out of all the songs in the world, that's the one I'm going to put. If you ask me what song to play, that's the song that I'm going to walk out to. You know, sometimes people say, people um, 
they walk with a song in their head. That's the song I walk to in my head whenever I'm walking around. Like, it gives me confidence, really. That's your theme music. Oh, my goodness. That's my theme song. It really is. It really is. When I travel around the world and people see me, that's what I want them to think about. Look, she is poetry in motion. Look at her. She's bad. Okay, lady. Okay, lady. So, yeah, how, how do you like to celebrate? How do I like to celebrate? Hmm. Traveling. <laughs> if that could be the answer for everything, to travel. Um, really? Oh, but really, I'm, I, I love family and friends. I love being close to the people who, um, who I love. And being over here, you know, my immediate family obviously isn't here. But just being surrounded by family and friends, you know, we usually, me and my circle here, we usually get together, whether it be at somebody's house, have game nights and things like that. I really like to keep it simple, um, just showing appreciation for the people that are around me. Life we've seen here lately is super short, and I just believe in giving people flowers while they're here. And that's a celebration for me, just being around people, be, having the opportunity to love on people, and have them love back on you, to laugh and joke. So, yeah, my favorite way to celebrate is to be around the ones that I love. That that like uplifts me. That's a it's a privilege to be around my friends and family. That's beautiful. So speaking of getting flowers or giving flowers, but right now giving <laughs> flowers. How can people support <laughs> your work? If you would like to support me, you can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Tia Takes the World. Um, I'm on Twitter as well. I'm not super great at Twitter, so don't judge me. I'm just trying to get back into it. <laughs> it's at What's Next Tia. And you can also follow my YouTube at Tia Takes the World. And then I blog quite often on my website, TiaTakesTheWorld.com. Um, I also sell travel apparel. So I have shirts coming out soon. I'm the queen of collecting travel patches. So I collect the um, patches from each country that I've been to and I put them on bags or my jackets and things. You can check that out. And yeah, support me by traveling and let me inspire you. That's how you can support me. That's what makes me feel the best. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much to your travel bestie, Miss Travel More <laughs> <laughs> thank you for having me this has been great thank you my pleasure well, i hope you have yourself a gorgeous day and we'll thank you you do the same working it out on twitter <laughs> all right then thank you thank you bye. all right bye <laughs>